It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. 1 Peter 3, 7 declares that God's people are heirs together of the grace of life. This is the most wonderful aspect of our inheritance, the abundant, the amazing, the phenomenal grace of God that rescued us from sin. We are heirs together of the grace of life. And the word translated life there is zoe, Z-O-E, which means divine life. And we are surrounded by the death-dealing effects of sin that works death into us mentally and emotionally and spiritually and physically. But the grace of God has been sent to rescue you from that. The Bible says the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. He came into this world to introduce this phenomenal opportunity to fallen human beings, to access the grace of God and be transformed as a result. Now, let me define what grace is. There's four primary definitions that I give to it. Number one, grace is unmerited love from God, unearned divine favor. Number two, grace is divinely imparted ability. Number three, it is the abundant generosity of God toward those who are bankrupt spiritually without him. And number four, it is the sum total of all the ways that God expresses himself towards you, in you, and through you. It's all the grace of God. It's an extremely comprehensive term. I believe one of the best definitions of grace I've ever found comes from Strong's Concordance. In that book, you'll find it defined as the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. The divine influence on the heart that's invisible and subliminal and its reflection in the life that's visible and manifest. So grace always results in an identifiable change, some kind of transformation some kind of manifestation of the reality of God in your life. I love the acrostic for grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. And that says a lot. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, it says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor that you, through his poverty, might be made rich. Now, what is that really saying? You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, it's evident to you through this. It can be identified by this. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. How do I know it? That even though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor. Rich when? Rich where? Well, in his pre-incarnate state, in the celestial world, 
He was rich in the abundant peace of heaven. He was rich in the overflowing ecstasy of the celestial world. He was rich in the adoration of angels and in unhindered fellowship with the Father, never buffeted by temptation, never attacked by Satan or his demonic underlings. He was rich in his preexistent state as the image of the invisible God. But then he divested himself of the riches of the heavenly world to come down and assume the poverty-stricken form of Adam flesh, to be tempted, to be tested, to face off with Satan, to taste death for every man, to die in our stead on the cross. That's when he became more poor, if you will, than any other moment. Because the thing that enriched him in this life was his constant connection and fellowship with the Father. But then on the cross, when he tasted death for every man, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there was this temporary, momentary breach, it seemed, between the Father and the Son. Heartbreaking, disturbing. And yet he did it so that he could pay the price that we should have paid for the iniquity, for the wickedness that's been in our lives. And tell us not to praise him. We will spend eternity praising him who is called in Peter's writings, the God of all grace, the God of all grace. In fact, Peter said the God of all grace, after that you've suffered a while, will make you perfect, establish strengthen, and settle you. In other words, when you go through tough stuff, when you go through challenging times, he'll provide the grace to stabilize you, to make you strong, to mature you, to make you perfect until the trial, the tribulation, does the work in you it was intended to do. It was never intended to hinder you it was never intended to stop you. It was intended to grow you into the things of God, to grow you into greater maturity. And the God of all grace who is in your life will do that. Now let's go back to 2 Corinthians 8, 9. So Jesus became poor more when he was on the cross than any other time because he became sin for us. He was crowned with thorns, which I believe represented being crowned with the mental misery of the entire human race. When his body was pierced with a spear, that was representative of his heart being pierced with the agony, the emotional agony of those who are estranged from God. He identified with us in our poverty. He became poor for us by accepting our poverty-stricken state that we might be made rich, the Bible says. When we connect with him at the cross, that's where the riches of God overflow our lives. Here we are, bankrupt morally, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, yet we connect with the crucified one, the grace giver, and overflowing into our lives comes the riches of his glory, according to Romans 9, 22 and 23. Then we receive the riches of faith, according to James 2, 5, God has made us rich in faith. Then God pours out the riches of his mercy on us. 
the riches of his goodness that lead us to repentance so that we can access all the good things of God. Then the word of God dwells in us richly, and we learn to partake of what the scripture describes as the incomprehensible riches of Christ, because we are in him. There is a treasury of heavenly celestial riches, the riches of joy and peace and love and goodness and righteousness and gifts that are poured out on our lives. It's just absolutely amazing. No wonder it's called Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. And incidentally, that song, Amazing Grace, was written by a man who would have disqualified himself. He was a wicked man, a slave trader. He dealt in human trafficking, which is a despicable thing, an evil thing. He would capture slaves in Africa and then carry them over to the new world where they were sold off, which is a despicable trade. And yet he, according to the story I've read, was caught in a storm at sea where it seemed like his life was going to end. And suddenly he realized the enormity of the evil in his life and God saved him. And he wrote that song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I don't care how bad your past has been. There is a sufficient amount of grace to change all of that. In fact, Ephesians 1, 6 says that God has made us accepted in the beloved. Now, that word accepted seems like a lame word to me. It almost sounds like tolerated, although I know the Bible doesn't mean that. But he's made us accepted in the beloved. And for many years, even decades, I preached that that meant we are just as accepted in the presence of the Father as Jesus, the firstborn son, which is phenomenal. To imagine that is just almost unthinkable, but because we are in the beloved and in your Bibles, the word beloved is usually with a capital B. It's a reference to Jesus, the beloved son of God. Uh, you remember when he was baptized, the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And when you are saved, he becomes the head of your life and you are in the beloved. And then you become just as loved of the father as Jesus, the firstborn son and just as accepted in the presence of the Father as Jesus, the firstborn son. Now, all of that is wonderful. It's marvelous. It's glorious. But recently I did a word search in the original Greek on that scripture, Ephesians 1, 6, and much to my surprise, found a hidden nugget of gold. The word translated accepted there is karito'o, which is uh, from the word charis, which is normally translated grace. Uh, many, many times in scripture, over a hundred times is translated grace. And then from that word, it's extended and enlarged a little bit to karito'o, C-H-A-R-I-T-O-O. And it means an abundant amount of grace, overflowing grace, wonderful grace. And that word is only found twice in the New Testament. The other time, it wasn't even spoken by a human being. It was spoken by an angel, the angel Gabriel, announcing to Mary what her calling was going to be. He said, hail you who are 
highly favored, highly favored. And the word translated highly favored there is karito'o, the very word that is translated accepted in Ephesians 1.6. So it means a lot more than just being accepted. It means you are highly favored of God. Mary was highly favored because the Son of God would be in her womb for nine months and she would give birth to him. But if you have received him into your heart, that's not for a limited amount of time. That's for eternity. And if Mary was highly favored, then certainly you are highly favored and it's an abundant amount of grace in your life. Well, these are wonderful words. Now let's go back to some definitions. Grace is unmerited love, but grace is also divinely imparted ability. Now ponder that for just a moment, because those are two things that seem extremely opposite to each other. Unmerited love, divinely imparted ability. There's no connecting link, it seems, between those two definitions. How could grace, one word, mean two things that are so different from each other? Well, I like to compare it to this. When a man and a woman come together in marriage and the marriage is consummated and pregnancy results, the man's seed enters into the woman's egg, a fertilization takes place, and a human being begins its journey. And that boy or girl at the very beginning is an expression of love that became an impartation of ability. What do I mean by that? Well, what began as an expression of love between the man and the woman results in a child being born nine months later that has the ability to see, the ability to hear, the ability to speak, the ability to smell, the ability to feel, all the five senses functioning normally. And so what began as an act of love ended as an impartation of the ability to be a functional human being. Well, in like manner, when God's love manifested in your life, the seed of the word of God was planted in the heart. And when your heart received the seed of the word, you were begotten of the word, and then you were born again. And what began as a mere expression of the love of God towards you to rescue you from sin began a work in you that resulted in the birth of a son of God, a functional son of God that could see like a son of God, hear like a son of God, talk like a son of God, function like a son of God in this world. So what began as an expression of love ends as an impartation of spiritual or supernatural abilities where you can conquer sin and conquer temptation and conquer satanic attacks on your life and conquer the lower nature. And finally, at the end of your life, conquer death and the grave by the faith that goes with you into the state of death that will bring you out in the resurrection at the end of days. Now think of that. It's all an expression of grace in your life. How wonderful. Well, is grace free? Absolutely. By grace you are saved through faith and not, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. You don't do anything to earn a gift. You just put yourself in a receptive position and you reach out and receive it. And so you cannot earn grace. However, spiritually speaking, 
you have to come nigh unto God. You have to draw near to God to be in that receptive position to receive it. There are three requirements that God gives if you're going to receive grace into your life. Listen to them closely. We've already covered one of them. Faith, you have to believe. And I'm not just talking about the initial entrance of grace into your life. For grace to function on an ongoing basis throughout your life, you have to continue to believe. You believe in the cross. You believe in the power of the name of Jesus. You believe in the promises of God. You believe in the word of God. You believe in your acceptability in the sight of God because of these things. You have to fight the good fight of faith or you dam up the flow of grace in your life where that river of grace doesn't flow like it should. But faith by itself is insufficient because I have met some people through the years that thought they could use grace in order to live an unacceptable lifestyle and just claim the grace of God. Just go ahead and continue in their sin, their drunkenness, their lust or whatever they were indulging in and just claim the grace of God covering it. No, there's some balancing factors that I need to bring in. The second required attitude to position you to receive grace is humility. That's found in 1 Peter 5, 5. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And then the third prerequisite is sincere love. Ephesians 6, 24 says grace be with all those who love the Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. And that word sincere means uh, without guile, without any hidden agenda. You're real to the core. You mean business with God. You intend to serve him with all your heart. You're not playing a religious game. And so if you have faith, that's Ephesians 2.8, humility, 1 Peter 5.5, 5, and sincere love, Ephesians 6, 24, you are going to do your best to be pleasing to God, submitted to God, and believing and trusting in him no matter what you face in life. And if you have those three things, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. And when those three attitudes are woven together in your spirit, you're not going to be destroyed. There will be an abundant measure of grace poured out on you. In fact, I'm going to end with this scripture is 2 Corinthians 9, 8, where Paul, who knew the grace of God, if anybody did, he said that God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Well, how much grace is all grace? It is just as inexhaustible and infinite as the God who gives it. There will never be a point where the grace of God runs out in your life as long as you do not fail of the grace of God, as long as you maintain faith, humility, and sincere love. There's an infinitely inexhaustible reservoir of grace over your life, and you're going to make it. You're going to survive. So this is just the first episode on the grace of God, the wonderful, the amazing, the phenomenal grace of God that he has placed in our lives. I'm going to be pursuing this subject, our calling to be heirs together of the grace of life on at least two more episodes. I believe it's going to be a very powerful, transformative experience for you.
Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shreve, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given His people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.